to the Poetry on Firefall Talk Radio. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, examining the Word of God, especially the example of the Book of Acts Church, to see how they serve the Lord. And by delving deeper into Scripture, we find the church the Lord intended, not the one that man created. The portrait is restoring the priesthood of the believer and the world-shaking influence the early church had because we believe the church age is still in effect. There's a job to be done. The day of Pentecost is ongoing because the fire still falls. The porch is an outreach of Solomon's Porch, Inc. You can go to onsolomonsporch.org for that. If you have any questions, use this contact button there, or you can go to firefalltalkradio.com and do the same. And at firefalltalkradio.com, you can find ways to support us. For all of you that do, we appreciate your support and encouragement. Make sure you bookmark the Spreaker site, spreaker.com forward slash user forward slash Firefall Talk Radio, or just get the app on your smart device and make sure that you are alerted to when a new show is posted. Welcome to all of our other listeners, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. As I said last week, the editing for the video for the C conference has been put on hold until we can acquire a new laptop for the job. So continue to pray with us and believe with us that our needs would be met and everything to do the job would become available. So pray for the release of those provisions. Starting out, praise reports and prayer requests. Kind of got a little ahead of it with that prayer request, but we praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for the equipment we do have. For the home that I'm doing this in, for my wife, for our, my family, son, daughter-in-law's grandson, for our furry kids and all the possessions the Lord has blessed us with. I praise him for his protection over us, that Psalm 91 covering that is always in effect. For the ministry that he allows me to work for him, for the dreams and the visions given over these three decades of salvation that drive the vision for the ministry and fuel it. Praise him that his healing virtues are still available to us, that we are able to praise him even in the midst of everything that is going on in the world. We can praise him. Praise him for everything. Praise him for being a new creation, living in these prophetic times, seeing that he's getting ready to come back. I believe he's getting ready to come back, folks. Don't you think so? And here we are in a country that's in turmoil, but you know what? We're allowed to do this. Some countries, they'd be um, putting us in jail for doing this. Our brothers and sisters around the world don't have the freedom that we do. And praise him for his favor and, and everything that he shows us in his word. Let's pray for the Middle East, for Israel, for the peace of Jerusalem, which means we pray for the return of the Prince of Peace. For the fatherless, the widows, the innocents, the victims of injustice in and out of the womb. For our brothers and sisters around the world that are being persecuted and slaughtered for their faith, their homes, their places of worship destroyed. For the slaughter of the innocents that is going on, especially in America, but worldwide. For religious persecution, anti-Semitism, which is satanically inspired and another satanically inspired thing is human trafficking. The victims of sex trafficking seems to be getting a lot of notice in the news. Thankfully, it's being exposed. I pray for every hidden thing to be exposed. I pray for divine wholeness, health, and continued healing that we would all get back to our divine design. Look, we're either going to be healed or we're going to be healed in heaven. And my choice is if I have to be here to be whole to be complete, or to be with him. But I know there's a job to do, so I will be here for a little bit. I'm praying for healing in all of you. For those that are sick, injured, um, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, I'm praying that he would just touch you right now. That we would be protected, that we would be inspired, that the remnant, if you believe that you're a part of the remnant, say amen. If you are, then it's time for others like you to wake up, to rise up, and answer this call to action. If we've been blessed, then we should be a blessing. We should never hoard the blessing. 
and for us to prosper in accordance with his words, to be open conduits of those blessings into the kingdom to those that need it. I'm also asking for prayer against Hurricane Dorian. I'm praying that it stays out to sea and curves away from the coastline. Right now they are fear-mongering and and getting people all riled up and the shelves are empty and and everybody's afraid, oh, by the models, it looks like it's going to slam into Central Florida, go over the top of Orlando. Folks, they don't even know where it's going to go. They don't know if it's going to go up the coastline. They don't know if it's going to hit Central Florida, if it's going to hit North Florida, if it's going to hit South Georgia, if it's going to hit the Carolina. They don't know. But the Lord knows. So we are praying for his favor and his safety in the midst of it all. Continue to pray for my wife, Deb, here in Orlando. Continued healing and relief and restoration and favor and the ongoing issues that we are involved in. Stacy in Texas. These are her words. I'm going to read them. She says, I don't know how to put words together right now. Well, she does a real good job. So good things and not so good things are happening. Please pray for my husband and me and for the kids. We really need the support to face tomorrow. And I don't know if that's a allegorical tomorrow, symbolic tomorrow, or an actual physical tomorrow. But we will pray in support of them. She says, I love you all. I'm praying as well. Above all, I am thankful for the true love and grace we have in our Messiah. Stay strong, brothers and sisters, in Jesus' name. I don't know, Stacey, you did pretty good there putting words together. Kim in Fort Mitchell, once as always, she praises him for her three years of continuous sobriety. And it's even more important to her right now because a friend of hers, who had been sober for two years, lapsed. Said the disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful. That's because it's demonic. Said, Father, I'm praying for my friend Lisa. I praise you, Father, for saving my soul and forgiving me when I could not forgive myself. I praise you for my children every day. Thank you for my friend Stacy. Our friendship is like no other. Lord, thank you for this ministry, Richard and his wife, Deb, the porch community, the powerful bond we share. Thank you for all the little moments throughout the day when you protect my children and I from the enemy's attacks. Please continue to protect our families, heal our bodies, minds, and spirits. Um, Father, the accuser, the creative chaos has been able to strike and has put me into a financial setback. Bills are coming in that need to be paid. Everything's backed up, and I won't get my first paycheck. And that's from her new job in two, two more weeks. Father, help me clean this up. Don't let the enemy succeed. Show me where to start. Keep my friend Stacy and her children safe. Help her to make the right decisions. Provide with an exclamation point. We're going to pray for that. Father, provide for the porch families and SRT. Says, my heart feels heavy for people struggling with addiction. Help me to carry the message to whoever needs to hear it. I'm praying for lost souls who have wandered away from you, Father. Deliver me and my children and relight that fire in my soul in Jesus' name. Well, Kim, that is a calling and a target of prayer for you, for others like you. You can pray with a compassion. You can pray with a passion and a fire. So, Father, we just come to you now as your children. Abba, Father, Papa, God, Daddy, you're all we have. We live in a fallen world that really does not want to help us. The God of this world wants to destroy us, but we are hidden under the shadow of your wings. You are our shield. You are our glory and the lifter of our head. So right now, for those whose heads are bowed down, who are struggling under the weight of this world, I pray, Father, you'd reach down and lift their heads up so they can turn their eyes towards you. I pray your favor into their life, the flow of your blessings would find their way to them, Lord that anything the enemy tries to do to cut it off would be stopped. We rebuke the enemy. We bind you. We declare and decree. We are off limits. Our names are written. In the Lamb's Book of Life, you have no authority over us, no matter what you think. So right now, Lord, to every prayer that I've offered here that's been sent to me and those that are being offered to you silently and privately right now, we lift them up before you, before your throne. 
and we thank you in advance for answering them. We speak to things not as they are, but as they should be in accordance with your will and your word. We thank you for healing. We thank you for provision. We thank you for deliverance. We thank you for guidance. We thank you for every good thing that comes from above. Let them manifest into our lives right now, into our possessions. Let the enemy be bound and defeated, and you be glorified. Lord, your name is the name above all names. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you for the upper room. We thank you for the authority you've delegated to us and the use of your name. So in that name and in that authority, I pray healing where healing is needed. I pray deliverance where deliverance is needed. I pray provision where provision is needed. And I pray your protection and your guidance and your fire to fall upon us this night as we join together in listening to your word and acknowledging you as our God, as our Lord, as our Savior. And in Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. These lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So we're completing our look at apostasy and the falling away and the slipping of the anchor. In Matthew 24, verses 11 through 14, the the Lord warned us of false prophets that would rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. 1 Peter 4, 17, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? First Timothy 4.1 Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Yes, some will turn away from the faith, giving attention to the deluding and seducing spirits and the doctrines that demons teach, they will fall away. And that's what apostasy is. It's a deliberate act. It's a falling away from a previous position, a departure from the truth of God. For some, it's for financial gain. Others, it's rebellion. But its inspiration is always satanic. He is always behind Someone who falls away, pushing them, pulling them, guiding them, nudging them. He made a suggestion to Eve, and she acted upon it. Nothing has changed. The apostasia, the apostasy, the falling away. Falling away from, to literally stand away from, to depart from the truth, abandon a former position or belief a defiance of authority, meaning God's, a rebellion against his authority, a breach of faith, it's an adultery, it's a revolt, it's a defection, and it still infects the body of Messiah today. False teachers, they've warned against them since the church was formed. The Lord was warning against them before the church had even begun. But we look at Titus 1.11, talks about false teachers whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert entire households, teaching things they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. Ungodly false teachers using the grace and mercy of God to cover up their sins of the flesh, hiding in religion, committing horrible sexual perversions, unscriptural actions, corrupt 
business practices and they entice others to follow them into the darkness. Well, that's not God, that's satanic. But we should be smarter than that. Ephesians 4.14 that says that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, goes on in verses 18 and 19, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. They have become insensitive to the moral darkness. They are past feeling anything about it, any conviction, because they've been hardened by years of sin and debauchery. I'm not talking about 2019. I'm talking about somewhere between 60 and 63 A.D. when Jude, Yeshua's half-brother, wrote his letter to the church. Beloved, this is chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I find it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed. You can underline crept in. Who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God in our Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Contend earnestly, agonize over, struggle with continuously. Jude is warning us that there's a constant fight against false teaching that we should always be conscious of. And it's so serious that we should agonize over the fight that we're engaged in. He used that word crept, the one I told you to underline. Only time used in, in the Bible. It means the craftiness of a lawyer who's clever arguments infiltrates the minds of the courtroom officials and corrupts their thinking. Well, we know who that talks about. We know it talks about the serpent in the garden who crept in. We know it talks about how Satan, Satan, the adversary whose words creep in. They slip in sideways. They sneak in. They're hard to detect. By the time you've heard them, it's too late. Your mind should be blocked out. But you, Jude is warning all of us, not just the leaders. He's warning every believer that this is important, that it's critical that we sharpen our discerning discernment skills to recognize and prevent apostasy in our midst, in our life, in our homes, in our families, in our fellowships. I'm astounded that so many fall so easily to the simple lies of the slick tongue of the serpent. He goes on in chapter 1, verses 20 through 25, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, faith, praying in the Spirit, love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, unto eternal life. Keeping your eye on the sky, that's what he's saying. If you love him, you're watching for him. Going on, verse 22, And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Well, from Genesis to Revelation, all the books of the Bible, especially in the New Testament, they all talk about false teachers and apostasy, except for Philemon. It's the only one that doesn't mention it. Having all of that, what would inspire someone to fall away? One of the first things we see is persecution. 
the superficial believer who endures for a while, but when tribulation and persecution arise because of the word, he stumbles. That's Matthew thirteen twenty one. Yet he has no real root in him, but is temporary, inconstant, in lasts but a little while. And when affliction or trouble or persecution comes on account of the word, at once he is caused to stumble. He's repelled and begins to trust and desert him who he ought to trust and obey, and he falls away. I think it's about relationship. Larry and I were talking about this this afternoon. If you're in a true loving relationship with somebody, things may go wrong. There might be misunderstandings. There might even be a worldly desire to say, I've had enough. But if you love them, and more importantly, if you love the Lord, he's the thing that holds it together. But if there's only lying, if there's only uh, the slick tongue of the serpent involved, then there's going to be a desire to depart, to push away, to pull away from that, but not from him, not from the one who loves you, not from the one who died for you. We are told to be faithful even if it costs us our lives. Revelation 2.10, fear nothing that you are about to suffer. Dismiss your dread and your fears. Behold, the devil is indeed about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be a may be tested and proved and critically appraised, and for ten days you will have affliction. Be loyal, faithful unto death, even if you must die for it, and I will give you the crown of life. He may be able to set Hasatan Satan may be able to affect the body, but he can't affect your soul unless you give it up. But he encourages us, the Lord does, in John sixteen thirty three. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace, you may have shalom. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I mean, you can even throw a little attitude in on that one. You know, I've overcome the world. I'm greater than the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There's nothing he can do to you to cost you your eternity with the Lord. It's so vital that everywhere you look, the warnings are there. Don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in his name, saying, he is the Messiah. And they will deceive many. And then there'll be wars and rumors of wars, and we shouldn't panic. Because these things, they have to take place, but... The end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all these things are the first of the birth pains. There's more to come. You may be arrested. You will be persecuted. You might be killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are his followers. Many will turn away from him, and they will betray and hate each other. False prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin, lawlessness will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many, that compassion, the love of God, it will grow cold, cold as ice. But the ones who endure to the end will be saved. And here's a promise. The good news about the kingdom, it will be preached throughout the entire world. And all the nations will hear it, so there'll be no excuses, and then the end will come. Luke 21, 12 through 17, a time of great persecution. They were dragged into synagogues. They were put into prison. They stood trial before kings and governors. Verse 13 of Luke 21, Paul lives out, and so did every apostle. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me, says the Lord. See, persecution is a setup for you to talk about the Lord. So don't worry in advance how you answer the charges against you, for I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply 
or refute you. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit that's in you. Now here's a warning, verse 16 of Luke 21, even those closest to you, your parents, your brothers, your relatives, your friends, they will betray you. They will even kill some of you. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers. So, some people fall away because that's just a little too tough for them. He hung on a cross. They whipped him. They scourged him. Tore his flesh apart. Tore his beard out. Nailed him to a piece of wood until every drop of blood left his body. But persecution is a little too hard for them. And then there are other people who just don't understand the concept of God's permissive will, which means allowing natural hardships as a consequence of living in a fallen world. And something will happen, and they'll blame God for it. And then they just walk away. They blame him because he didn't answer their prayers. They blame him because he didn't do what they wanted him to do when they wanted him to do it. Come on. Oh, I know people like this. I've mentioned him before when I first got saved. There was another friend of mine in New York got saved about the same time. He was on fire. He was, you know, he he was full of it, literally. Um, And then his mother died suddenly, and God didn't answer his prayer, and he turned his back on God. Same guy that months before that was good with just, I'm not to share the gospel. I've got my ticket to paradise. I'm good. And then his mother died and he wasn't so good and he turned his back on God and he fell away. Yep, that's all it took. Folks, relationship means commitment even in the toughest of times. I mean, we look at Job. Job who did not have the covenant of grace did not have the infilling of the Holy Spirit, we learn that God does not shield his people, even from tragedies, even from when Hasatan is directly attacking them. We must learn to trust him as our Abba Father, no matter what happens to us. And you know where that comes from? That comes from love. That comes from relationship. That comes from knowing who he is even in the midst of those tough times. But I think one of the biggest threats and causes of apostasy, which kind of affects the first two that I mentioned, persecution and tribulation in this world, is false teaching. Too many sheep are eating grass in the wrong field. I mean, we we were called sheep by the Lord for a reason. Sheep aren't the brightest animals in the world. They'll walk off the edge of a cliff looking for better grass or even in the process of eating grass. They'll walk right into a pack of wolves. Go with me to Matthew 7, starting with verse 13. I'm just going to be living, reading the New Living Translation. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Now, let me back up a second. Rewind. Okay. I'm going to break down these scriptures, and I'm going to show you pauses in thoughts and a building of a thought pattern that leads to a conclusion. Remember, when the Lord spoke or the disciples taught, they weren't scriptures and lines and paragraphs. They were speaking and presenting a thought to the people that were listening. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. That was 13 and 14. Now we see what happens at 15. He gives you an indicator of why some people choose the wrong path. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. 
You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. You can pick grapes. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. So we have the the idea of this gate, the narrow gate, and why people choose the other wider path into eternal judgment. Then he explains about the false prophets and the false teachers. And then he talks about, in verses 21 through 23, those that have listened to the lies, that have continued to act out their life as if they're okay with them. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, we have prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and performed many miracles in your name. The key there was they were all done in his name with his authority, his power, but they didn't have the rights to them. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. So just because somebody moves in signs and wonders doesn't even mean that they're going to spend eternity with him. doesn't even mean he knows them. I know that there are a lot of people out there who will determine whether somebody is of God or not by the signs and the wonders and the tongues and the, the, the blessings. Oh, God's blessing him, so it must be his. Nope. Then in verse 24 through 27, he explains the importance to listening to his teachings. Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's been built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teachings and ignores it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. You know, people still do that. Go out to California, look at the West Coast, look at Malibu, look at the the, the Palisade. Look where they put up these giant mansions and all these other things. And then the storms come in and they just slide off into the ocean. By the kind of fruit in the doctrine, in the teaching, we know if it's poison fruit, it's of the world, and it's really of Satan. If it's the sweet fruit of the Spirit and lines up with the Word, we know it comes from the Lord. But the reason I've stayed three weeks on this, beside the fact the Lord had me to, is that the devastation of believing error, following a wrong teaching, of getting tied to the wrong person. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 6, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heeds to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies, in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, nothing is to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus the Messiah, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you carefully followed. That was his admonition 
to Timothy, and remember, First Timothy is to a church that's exploding and growing. Second Timothy is to a church that's in collapse and calamity and confusion and chaos. Second Timothy 4, verses 1 through 4, I charge you therefore before God, and Adonai Yeshua HaMashiach, the Lord Jesus the Messiah, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to fables. Well then, we have the satanic backsliding of Second Thessalonians 2, which started this teaching, which coincides with the rapture of the church, the falling away of the believers. First, it's the falling away of the believers that get sifted out, and then the true church is taken out, and then the Antichrist says, here's Johnny. And he comes out and does his thing, and they all go, oh, look at those signs and wonders. This must be from God. And two and a half years later, they go, oops. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 8, Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Isn't that an amazing connection of words? Unrighteous deception among those who perish. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Which takes us back to John 3. They chose darkness rather than light. And for this reason God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So let's get real. In our very present day, you can go into churches from Orlando to New York to Los Angeles to Europe and beyond and everywhere in between, and we will find places that have yielded to the influence of error. Some of it's obvious, some of it's not so obvious. It takes the discerning of spirits and and really being steeped in the word. Not only do they not line up with the book of Acts church, they don't line up with any biblical church except the ones condemned in Revelation. Oh, they don't want to be a part of the old paths. They want to plow a new path. The old paths have become a, a subject of ridicule, not sophisticated enough. Well, isn't it amazing that they have fashioned a church that lines up with Jeremiah 6, 16 through 19? And thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it, then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. Also, I set watchmen over you, saying, Listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not listen. Right there, Jeremiah six seventeen is a foreshadowing of the rapture, of the, of the sound of the trumpet that calls the church up to meet him. And there are those that say, No, we're, we're not going to listen because we don't believe there is a rapture. Therefore, here, you nations, and we can put in here, you church, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Here, O earth, behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not heeded my words nor my law, but rejected it. Remember, the church has been grafted into the vine. The blessings of Israel and the curses of Israel and the admonitions of Israel, are the church are subject to them. And because we have not listened, because we have not obeyed, because we've not done what he told us to do, calamity has come upon them, and a greater calamity will come upon those who are left behind. The Lord appealed to them to repent. He warned them of the terrible consequences awaiting them if they refused. 
Is the church any different? And then there'll be some that won't even know they're wandering away. They'll kind of wander away because of a lack of fidelity, kind of that 1% off course. They'll start out really, really close, and then eventually they'll be way, way off. Go with me to John chapter 6. I kind of referred to this last week. I want to jump into it. I was saving time to go into it deeply. John chapter 6, starting with verse 53. This is Yeshua talking to those that are following him. Not just the 12 disciples, not just the, the 70, but everyone. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which has come down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Verse 60, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying, and who can understand it? When Yeshua knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he asked them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Yeshua knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it had been granted to him by my Father. Verse 6 is a fall. 66. Isn't that interesting? 66. Double man. Double-minded man. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. They fell away. They walked away. They didn't like what they heard. They didn't understand it. They didn't stick around to get a clearer understanding of it, that it was referring to the Last Supper, that it was referring to communion, that it was it was a foreshadowing of what was to come. They just went, oops, I'm out of here. And then Yeshua said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And also we have come to believe and know that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. In Matthew Henry's concise Bible commentary, he gives an insight into what happens here. When we admit into our minds that the thoughts and the words of Jesus are hard thoughts and and not and we don't understand them, we enter into temptation. Now, we know who messes with the mind, Satan, the fallen, the demon, that work for him. And if the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, doesn't prevent it, many will draw back. The corrupt and wicked heart of man often makes an occasion for offense, which is a matter of the greatest comfort. What does Jeremiah 17.9 say about the heart? The heart is deceitful above all things, and it is exceedingly perverse and corrupt and severely mortally sick. Who can know it? Who can perceive it? Who can understand? Be acquainted with his own heart and mind. The Lord kind of reiterates that in Mark 7.21-23. This is talking about the heart. For from within, that is, out of the hearts of men, come base and wicked thoughts, sexual immorality, stealing, murder, adultery, coveting, a greeting desire to have more wealth, dangerous and destructive wickedness, deceit, unrestrained, indecent conduct, 
an evil eye of envy, slander, of which is evil speaking, malicious misrepresentation, abusiveness, pride, which is the sin of an uplifted heart against God and man, foolishness, the folly of the lack of sense, recklessness, thoughtlessness, all these evil purposes and desires come from within, and they make the man unclean and render him unholy. You know what that says to me? And it's reiterated in Ephesians four eighteen through 24, when the Lord says that the minds of these false teachers are full of darkness. They wander from the life of God, that life that God gives us because they have closed minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Messiah. Since you've heard about Yeshua and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes, renew your mind. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. If you take Jeremiah seventeen nine, Mark seven twenty one through twenty three, and the first Ephesians four eighteen through twenty two, what you see is evident that the unredeemed, non born again heart is satanic. Its influence is from the fallen. But when you are born again, when you have been redeemed, all of that changes. So when the Lord said what he said to those disciples, all they fixated on was what they didn't understand, and they walked away from him. They walked away from eternal life. They walked away from the upper room. They walked away from the infilling of the Holy Spirit. They walked away from turning the world upside down in his name. And guess what? If we forsake Messiah, the same thing will happen. We will forsake his mercy. So when we are tempted to turn away or to backslide, it's good to remember the basics, the first principles, and to keep them. Think back to that moment when Yeshua says to Peter, will you walk away too? Where will we go, Lord? To whom can we go? You have the gift of life. You are the gift of salvation. You are the forgiveness of my sins. The only happiness we have in this world is him. The only hope we have in this world is him. The only promises we know that will be kept are his. When you begin to examine this, especially over three weeks, I believe I've covered this pretty in-depth, you see that not only is the apostasy easy to happen, it was expected to happen. I think in some cases he allows it to happen because it sifts out the weeds. He lets people walk away. But what is the danger of neglecting salvation? Since all this is true, we ought to pay more attention than ever to the truths that we've heard, lest in any way we drift past them and slip away. For if the measure given through the angels, the law spoken to Moses, was authentic and proved sure, and every violation and disobedience received an appropriate, just, and adequate penalty, i.e. thrown in the pit, how shall we escape appropriate retribution if we neglect and refuse to pay attention to such a great salvation as is now offered to us, letting it drift past us forever? All the symbolism of, of unhooking the anchor. For it was declared at first by the Lord himself and confirmed to us and proved to be real and genuine by those who personally heard him speak Beside this evidence was also established and plainly endorsed by God, who showed his approval of it by signs and wonders, various miraculous manifestations of his powers, 
and by imparting the gifts of the Holy Spirit to believers according to his will. The signs emphasize the divine communication in the miraculous. The wonders stressed the impression made upon those witnessing the miracle, and the miracles rendered powers and called to attention the awesome and abilities of the one who produces the miraculous. Hebrews 2.1, so we must listen very clearly, very carefully to the truth we have heard or what we may drift away from it. If we don't hold on, if we don't grab a hold of it, we're going to drift away from it like slipping the anchor. Believers have heard from the Lord because of the gospel message. His very majesty of who he is demands that we pay attention to what he says. Do you praise him? Do you worship him? Do you talk about the majesty of God? Do you, you know the old glorious songs? Majesty, worship his majesty. No other name. I mean, all these things. I, I, my wife will tell you, I'll just wander around the house, sing them, sing them in the car when we're going somewhere. They just suddenly come upon me, and I want to worship him. Struggles are going to happen. Those seeds are going to either bear fruit, drop roots, or they're going to get washed away by tribulation, by, by all these different things. We determine our response to what's happening in our life, to the distractions, to the things that the enemy is trying to do. But you got to hold on. And what you're holding on to is him. What you're holding on to is the promise of the cross, the empty tomb, the upper room. You're holding on to the word of God. What you're holding on to is you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness knowing that all those other things, all the cares, all the things you're crying out for will be added to you. So seek after, aim at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right. And then all these things taken together will be given to you besides Matthew 6.33, a single-minded commitment to God. A single-minded commitment to God and seeking his reign in our life through Messiah was the primary concern of the disciples, and it should be ours too. It shouldn't be about money. It shouldn't be about things. Remember what he said in Matthew nineteen twenty four. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That was a Jewish proverb that expressed the great difficulty or impossibility of a loaded camel entering the large gates of the city where there were smaller, narrow ones, and that the camel would have to kneel down and could only get through if he was unloaded. What are you carrying with you that you're trying to get through the gate and it's not making it? You're stuck. You made it through one gate, but now the gates have gotten smaller and you can't go any further. What are you holding on to? What baggage are you trying to bring with you? What form of religious beliefs don't you want to let go of? What pains and unforgiveness don't you want to let go of? Dump the load. Dump the baggage. The other thing about that comment about the Lord, Matthew nineteen twenty four, he was speaking to a culture that had a form of prosperity theology. The Jewish people believed that if a person prospered, it was evidence of God's blessing on them, never understanding that the God of this world blesses his own. And a lot of incredibly wealthy people are being blessed not because of God, but because of Satan. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Are we going to lose hope? If you if you look at Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I don't have time to go through it. But at the end, after he talks about his life being poured out, after he admonishes them and to correct and rebuke and encourage people with good teaching, look how it ends. 
in verse 9 of 2 Timothy 4. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of of this life and gone on to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone on to Galatia, and Titus has gone on to Dalmatia. means they fell away, they abandoned him. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. And then he talks about Alexander the coppersmith, who did much harm to him, but the Lord would judge him for what he has done. Be careful of him, for he has fought against everything we said. The apostasy was happening around Paul, even as he was preaching. And here we are, 2019, we have a church that some people would rather languish in the pig pen of the current church, like the prodigal son, and they don't even smell the stench anymore. They don't even come under the conviction of it. Well, folks, we got an anchor, and it's called the cross, and we better hold on because the storms are here, and it will hold out against all storms and keep us anchored into the kingdom of God. So I'm just going to end it with this. Wherever you are right now, whatever's going on with you, to you, for you, in you, around you, whatever storms are, are shaking the boat, and there's a part of your mind that says, just slip anchor, I'm tired of fighting the waves. In this manner, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Father, you're all we have. We live in a fallen world, ruled by corrupt people, under the influence of Satan and the fallen. And every now and then somebody stands up that knows you and tries to do right, but the system is rigged against them. You are our only hope, and it doesn't matter who sits in a White House or a building or a court. The only thing that matters is who sits on the throne. So we are petitioning the throne right now. We are petitioning the throne room right now. We are coming to you as your children saying, Abba, Father, Papa, God, Daddy, I'm in a storm. I'm holding anchor. I need you to speak to my storm. I need you to say, peace, be still. I need you to get the water out of my boat. I need some help. I need provision. I need support. I need some people to come beside me and hold this boat with me. Lord, we want to serve you. We want to go set the captives free. We want to destroy the work of the enemy. We want to get people saved, healed, and delivered. We want to tell them about how awesome you are. So, Holy Spirit, have your way with us. Show us what we need to let go of. Show us what we need to hold on to. If we need to get rid of the load we're trying to enter through the gate, show it, point it out. We'll let it go. And we just ask you right now, in Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grun. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.